Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 109 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back in the big chair for today, Monday, May 18th, 2020, and loaded show for you today. We're going to talk a little Jeff Thomas. We're going to talk a little summer scouting and the summer scouting plan and maybe even opine a little bit, not opine so much, but outline a little bit the plans for the show here this summer. But before I do that, and we have a ton of stuff to talk about in the first half of the show, I did want to mention this. I wasn't feeling it. I'm recording this on Sunday night. I wasn't I wasn't quite feeling it. Been um doing a lot of work around the house, on the outside of the house. Uh this weekend, a lot of manual labor type stuff. Um got into the eighties, almost the upper eighties here in the Maryland, DC area on Saturday. So I was out in the heat working all day. Same thing Sunday, getting up at the crack of dawn to beat the crowd at Lowe's because seemingly everybody had the same plan. I actually went to Lowe's on Saturday, drove into the parking lot and drove right out because I'm like, I'm not waiting to get into the store, let alone work around everybody. I mean, it was just a madhouse. And so it got to be like Sunday afternoon. I was thinking, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do a show to get out at the traditional time Sunday night, Monday morning, because I usually time these things to drop right at midnight on the East Coast. I was like, I'll just, I'll do it Monday afternoon or something. And then I was getting dinner ready, throwing some stuff on the grill, on the Traeger. Hashtag Traeger Grills. Hashtag sponsorship, please. Renato Olgan Derus, who is at M-A-S-A-L-T-O-Q-U-E on the Twitter machine, tweeted out as I was checking my phone while I was getting dinner together, thinking all day that tomorrow is Monday and I have a lot of work this week. Then I remember tomorrow starts my day with breakfast and Mark Schofield's podcast. Not bad Monday. Hashtag not bad Monday. Hashtag go Pats. So it got me to put my game face on. So Renato, thank you for reaching out like that. Incredibly kind thing to say. Um, So yeah, we're getting the show out on time. We'll do it live because that's what the people want. Usual announcements. At the outset, follow on on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Send me nice messages like in Bernardo. Send me mean messages like Michael Kiss does. Check out the work at Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here, Pat's Pulpit. And of course, Touchdown Wire. And that's where we're going to begin. Because as I mentioned last week, got a little series going over at the TD Wire. It's kind of loosely titled Metrics That Matter. And... What I'm doing in this series, I'm going to have a piece on every single team, all 32 teams, is outlining one statistic, one number, one thing 
from the 2019 season that might make or break that team in 2020. And so what we're going to do in the first half of today's show is run through the AFC East and metrics that matter. You might be saying, what's a metric that matters? I'll tell you. And I'll use the Buffalo Bills as an example because the Buffalo Bills piece is up. And for me, where I sit, and again, it's not worth a ton. But for me, what matters when it comes to a metric that matters for the Buffalo Bills in 2020, it is this. 30.9. That was Josh Allen's adjusted completion percentage on throws of 20 yards or more downfield. That number placed him 23rd in the league amongst qualified passers. Qualified in this case is defined by passers that attempted 50% or more of their team's drop back attempts. 23rd out of 24. Only Kyle Allen was worse than that metric last year. Again, among qualified passers. And if you want to sort of dive into it a tiny bit deeper, if you want to say, well, you know, that's not the entire league, right? I mean, 24 qualified passers. Let's let's bring the focus back a bit. Let's let's get in. Let's define qualified now as 20% of dropbacks. Do you think it gets better for Josh Allen? No. Then he's 33rd among 35 passers. Only Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins, and Kyle Allen were worse. And so from where I sit, if you're worried about the Buffalo Bills, you might want to watch Josh Allen's ability to hit on some of these downfield throws. Now, are these a massive percentage of his downfield attempt, of his passing attempts? No. 14.8% of his throws qualified as downfield throws. Again, defined, these are pre-FF numbers, as attempts of 20 yards or more. You think at 14.8%, well, that's not a ton. Well, sixth most in the league. Only Matthew Stafford, 19.2, Russell Wilson, 16.5, Aaron Rodgers, 16.3, Jameis Winston, 15.8, and Deshaun Watson, 14.9, had more attempts as a percentage of their total throws than Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's 68 attempts of downfield throws were ninth most in the league, just in terms of raw numbers. But again, as a percentage, you're talking 14.8% of his throws, sixth most in the league. And so that matters. Now, what might help, and I do this for all the teams, what might help, and what the plan might be in the year ahead, Stephon Diggs. Why might Stephon Diggs help Josh Allen in the downfield passing game? Well, Diggs is one of the best downfield targets in the league. Last year, he was targeted on 29 throws downfield, which tied him for third most in the league. What did he do on those 29 targets? 16 receptions, the most in the league. For a league high, 635 yards and six touchdowns, which was also a league high. So keep an eye on Josh Allen throwing downfield next year. Let's get to the Miami Dolphins. As we know, the Dolphins did a ton of work this offseason. Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, Byron Jones, then in the draft, Austin Jackson, Noah Ingram and of course, Tua Tungavailoa. What's a number that matters for the Miami Dolphins? I will tell you a number that matters for the Miami Dolphins. And this, 66. 
That is the number of hits that Ryan Fitzpatrick took last year, according to chart and data from Pro Football Reference slash Sports Radar. Mike Renner at PFF, he crystallized that a little bit. He tweeted out, I didn't realize that Tua Tungvaloa was hit or sacked on only 77 dropbacks his entire college career, and he was injured three times. Ryan Fitzpatrick, however, was hit or sacked on 132 dropbacks last season, which was second most in the NFL. And Mike concludes that tweet with the following statement, no way I'm starting Tua until that offensive line is fixed. And I would tend to agree with that. Now think about what the Dolphins did with respect to their offensive line. Well, they bring in Eric Flowers and Ted Karras in free agency. Then in the draft, they added Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kinley. They also added undrafted free agent tackles Nick Kaltmeyer from Kansas State and Jonathan Hubbard from Northwestern State. There's a chance all five of their offensive linemen next year to start the season are new faces. And that might happen. You know why? Some more numbers for you. Fitzpatrick was sacked was sacked 40 times last season, 7th most in the league. His pocket time, according to PFR slash Sports Radar, was 2.3 seconds, which tied him for the lowest in the league with Drew Brees, Andy Dalton, Josh Allen, Mitchell Trubisky, Kyler Murray, and Baker Mayfield. Now, this statistic measures the time from snap to throw or pressure. So quick releases might make for a number that's low for a different reason other than the fact you're running for your life, but it's a data point. Another data point. Fitzpatrick was pressured on 230 of his dropbacks, according to the PFF, which was sixth most in the league among qualifying passers. He was pressured on 39.7% of his dropbacks, which was fourth most in the league. The result of all that pressure, Fitzpatrick had an adjusted completion percentage of 59.9, which was 19th in the league among qualified passers. And finally, there's this. ESPN has their pass block win rate, which measures how long an offensive lineman or an offensive line as a whole can sustain their blocks for 2.5 seconds or longer. As a team, the Dolphins had a pass block win rate of just 28%, which was 31st in the league. Only the Detroit Lions at 24% were worse. As Mike Renner said, no way I'm starting to until that offensive line is fixed. And we need to see if it's fixed until he gets on the field. Now let's talk your, our New England Patriots. And there are a number of different ways. Look, you could just go to the, you could say four or conversely 12 is a number that matters for the New England Patriots. And what do you mean by that? Obviously, Jared Stidham stepping in, Tom Brady leaving the team. But I went in a different direction, and one that is probably near and dear to our good friend Jim Reynolds' heart. The number, the metric that matters for the New England Patriots is the number two. That number represents... The two receiving touchdowns that the New England Patriots tight end room accounted for last year. Benjamin Watson had one. Matt Lacoste had the other. There were 32 tight ends in the league, individual players, that had more receiving touchdowns than the entire New England Patriots tight end room a year ago. 
That includes such names as Demetrius Harris, Josh Hill, and Blake Jarwin. And I went back and I went back through 2010 and I brought up and put together, you know, charts and data and all sorts of stuff with all of the tight end room production in each year. And as you might expect, there were some years where the Patriots tight end room was just, it was like having a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And you might have had, in a sense, a Hall of Fame wide receiver with Rob Gronkowski in most of those years. You know, the first year I looked at, 2010, you had Algie Crumper, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez. They accounted for 93 receptions on 133 targets, 1,161 yards, and 18 touchdowns. 2011, man, 169 catches on 237 targets for 2,237 yards and 24 touchdowns. That was just Gronk and Hernandez. And the numbers go from there. You know, just looking at receiving yardage from the tight end room. The next year, 2012, 1,479. The next year, 2013, this was a year no Hernandez, Gronk was hurt, 806 yards. Then the next year, 1,427, 1,462 in 2015, 1,263 in 2016, 1,265 in 2017, 761, again, receiving yards from tight ends. In 2018, again, Gronk just playing 13 games. And last year, 419. You want to look at just touchdowns? It went from 18 to 24 from 2010 to 2011. Then 16 in 2012. 6 in 2013, again, the Gronk year that he was hurt. 18 in 2014. 15 in 2015. 11 in 2016. 9 in 2017. 3, 2018, and that 2 number of last year. And to drive home some of the production issues... Last year, Patriots tight ends last year, 37 receptions on 53 targets for 419 yards in the two touchdowns. 21 tight ends had more receptions than the Patriots' entire unit. 20 tight ends had more yards than the Patriots' entire unit. And 21 tight ends had more targets than the Patriots' tight end unit. And we know what they did to figure it out, right? Devin SCSC, Dalton Keene. And we hope it works and we expect them to get back to that 2011-2012 type of offense where if they're in 12, you face a choice because you can stay in base. They'll spread you out and throw on you. You can go sub-package to cover them and they can run the ball down your throat. We're all sort of hoping for that. Something that also sort of, I had to see it again to re-remind myself of it. Despite this lack of production last year, the Patriots kept using tight ends rather than going to... Remember when we thought, you know, last summer this might be a 10-personnel team? This might be a 20-personnel team? They used 11 offensive personnel on 43% of their snaps. They used 12 offensive personnel on 24% of their snaps. You have no tight ends and you're running two out there. They used 10 personnel... I remember all the shows. This is going to be a 10 personnel team. They used it on three plays, according to Warren Sharp's site. They used 20 offensive personnel, that pony package, on 10 plays. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. 
And it's not the quarantine. What are we doing out here? When you combine all the personnel groups that they used last year that utilized the tight end, 11, 12, 21, 22, and yes, 32, 97% of their offense was run with at least one tight end on the field. 97%. They better fix tight end. That's all I'm saying. Let's talk about the New York Jets before I really have a heart attack. And the Jets passing game was woeful last year. And it wasn't all Sam Darnold's fault. Remember, he missed some time with mononucleosis. Or I'm not even going to speculate. It wasn't COVID-19. He didn't have COVID-19. As an offense, 4.80. That is the... Adjusted net yards per attempt, A and Y over A, for the Jets passing game last season as a team. 30th in the league. Only the Steelers with the combination of Mason Rudolph and Devlin Duck Hodges and the Carolina Panthers were worse. And now, not all of it can be laid at Darnold's feet, right? But this was a bad offense. And... A and Y is just one way to show it. You could also look at yards per attempt. The Jets were 27th in the league with a mark of 6.6. Adjusted yards per attempt where their 6.0 number was good for 28th. Do you like quarterback rating? Is that more your flavor? There they were 27th with a rating of 80.6. Maybe you like expected points contributed by a passing game. That's a PFR stat. The Jets, minus 54.05, dead last. This was a bad passing game. And, you know, Darnold completed 61.9% of his passes for over 3,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. His ANY of 5.5 was 25th in the league. It wasn't like it was the other guys bringing them down. Although, look, Simeon attempted six passes, completed three with an ANY of minus 1.75. Luke Falk, in his time, 47 of 73 for 416 and three picks without a touchdown, an A and Y of 2.08. And then you get Darnold's 5.5. It was a bad passing game. And part of the problem might have been Jamison Crowder was their most targeted receiver. Quincy Inunwa's hurt. Christopher Herndon, the tight end, who Darnold was getting on the same page with at the end of 2018. Suspension and then an injury. Barely saw the field. Yeah, Robbie Anderson left, but look, if you get Crowder back as more your slot guy, you've got Mims and now Brashad Perryman as your Z and your X, you might be able to figure some things out there. If Herndon can be your tight end now, that's an 11 personnel package that actually might work. Glare is in the general direction of the New England Patriots. And that's an 11 personnel package that makes you want to play a little bit of cover too. And then you've got Lev Bell running the ball, so... That could work, but they've got to have a better passing game next year. So those are your AFC East metrics that matter. Up next, we're going to talk a little Jeff Thomas. We're going to talk a little summer scouting and more. That is ahead on episode 109 of the SCO Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. 
Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay snack it. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay snack bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 109 of the SCO Show. And going to hit a couple of different things here on the way out of this episode. First up, a question from last week. A little bit of a hangover question because... Not a handover question. Too old for those anymore. But as I was finishing up recording last week's mailbag, the last show episode, 108, I got a question in from Bob's Detective at Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N-S-K-O-M-A-L on the Twitter machine who asked, what's it going to take for Jeff Thomas to stick to the roster where his challenges seem primarily motivational? And in what ways does he upset the balance of power in the Pats' current wide receiver depth chart? So let's talk a little bit about Thomas, the receiver. And, you know, obviously, Patriots have sort of a history here of undrafted free agent receiver types that sort of capture our attention. You know, last year, look, Jacoby Myers made the roster. But you talk about other guys, you know, that have sort of stuck in our hearts and minds. You know, Gunner, who stuck on the roster last year. Austin Carr from a couple of years ago. I mean, the Patriots we Patriots fans seem to sort of love undrafted free agent wide receivers. Now, Jeff Thomas is the sort of the next guy on that list. And when you start from the position of the wide receiver room, there are question marks all over the place. And yes, Thomas was undrafted for a reason. He was undrafted because of some serious character concerns. He was a guy that... He was convinced to sort of come back to the team after he was suspended. The new regime sort of brought him back. Manny Diaz, this is a quote from Lance Zerline's draft profile of him on NFL.com. Manny Diaz recruited him to come back to the program, and I'm sure he regrets it now. He has talent, but not enough to put up with all the other crap that comes with him. And there are some weaknesses too, other than the character stuff. Small frame. Struggles against the press. Doesn't use his hands well. He's more of a body catcher. Again, these are from Lance Zerline's scouting profile on him. But what does he do? He's a burner. Explosive speed. Looks somebody that, you know, tested well. You look at the athleticism, and he certainly checks that box. You look at the speed. He checks that box. You know, he did go undrafted. And the size is poor, but you talk about some of the 4-4-5 at the Combine. 
with a 10-yard split of 1.56. Both are elite according to relative athletic scoring. A broad jump of 10 feet, 5 inches, also elite. He's an explosive athlete. And somebody that could potentially contribute in the kick return game. And in that season opener against LSU two years ago, looked fantastic there. I think you're going to hope that he f- buys in immediately and realizes that this is it. Like, you went undrafted for a reason. But you've got a shot now on a team that has a questionable wide receiver room. There might be a way that you could contribute on special teams as a kick returner, as a punt returner. But don't waste this shot. I mean, Bird, the guy they signed from Arizona, Marquise Lee, are we really that convinced these guys are going to be the answer? Muhammad Sanu, how does he look after the injury? Nikhil Harry, are we confident he's going to have that year two leap? Maybe he does with Stidham. Jacoby Myers, he and Stidham might be on the same page. Edelman, we know who he is, but we know what he was at the end of the year, and that's a guy that was so banged up, it was hard to really count on him. And that's not his fault. Slot receiver in the Patriots offense is a lot like running back. You're going to get beat up, which you know brings to mind what he can do, Jeff Thomas, that is, with his frame. But there's certainly a shot for him to sort of stick on this roster. And so definitely worth watching Jeff Thomas. I just wanted to address that. Other than I want to mention before we go, and I know we went long the first half, shorter hair, tighter on the second half of the show. Summer scouting season is upon us. And summer scouting for many people, sort of in the draft Twitter world. So for many in the, the sort of draft Twitter world, summer scouting means you just dive right into the next group of quarterbacks or wide receivers or everybody. And the takes go flying. And we're going to talk about one quarterback here briefly for a second, but the other thing I'm going to be doing, and those of you that are into the whole scouting thing, I would advise you to start somewhere else. Start with sort of average players in the NFL to see what works, to see what gets guys the ability, the opportunity to stick and to get some sort of baseline thresholds of performance. So while everybody else is going to be chasing down the next quarterback to come out of nowhere like Joe Burrow, even though some people like me kind of had him, I'm also going to be watching, in addition to quarterbacks and stuff like that, these four quarterbacks this summer to start off my summer scouting refining program as it were. Jimmy Garoppolo, Jacoby Brissett, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins. I'm going to watch those guys. And I'll probably add in some couple, some other guys along the way to get a baseline of what works. What enables a guy to stick in the NFL. And as we get through the summer, I'm going to watch average guys at other positions. This is something that the Scouting Academy does. And I know some of you are taking the Scouting Academy right now. You watch average guys at every position to get a sense of what it takes to be an NFL player and a guy that sticks. So that's part of my summer scouting program. The other part is, yeah, watching prospects. And I started, Matt Waldman and I did a show together. I encourage you to check it out on Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to end with just this. 
And I know I was joking that, yeah, you know, people are going to be making Trevor Lawrence QB3 by the time August rolls around. I don't know if I'd be able to do that because Trevor Lawrence is legit. Period. Full stop. Watch the video that Matt Waldman and I did on him. We didn't have as many giggle-worthy moments as we did when we did our show with on Mahomes together. But Trevor Lawrence is legit. And I think the way Matt described him in sort of the write-up for the show we did together is perfect. Trevor Lawrence is an old-school quarterback and a new-school body. His technique tells the tale. And he references a photo in the piece, promoting the video. Look at the photo above. What you're witnessing in this still moment is Lawrence dragging his back foot across the ground as he begins his throw. He's doing so to keep the midline of that back foot aligned with his receiver breaking across the middle. Ken Anderson, Dan Fouts, and Joe Montana had this kind of technique in challenging scenarios, and Lawrence demonstrates it repeatedly. Unlike this trio, Lawrence could also produce in an offense like Lamar Jackson's in Baltimore if called upon. He's a legit top-tier quarterback prospect with a running back's eyes and feel for setting up creases. The kid's legit. And I giggled so many times in watching him, so check that out as well. That will do it for today. I will be back for episode 110 of the SCO Show later this week. We'll probably do some more metrics of matter, do some other stuff. Until then, friends, stay safe, wash those hands, and when you do, sin along and bless those Patriots' reigns down in Baltimore.